Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you're watching. Uh, As Pastor Brenda said, my name is Donnie Sanchez. I have the... Oh, thank you. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as the next-gen pastor here at Cornerstone. If you want a three-second description of what that means, it's I oversee the people who oversee the little people. Uh, it's I have the wonderful privilege to oversee our C Kids ministry, our C Student ministry, and our Shining Light ministry. And I've got to tell you, we have some amazing people in those ministries who are truly committed to helping kids, students, and those with special needs find a father, a family, and a fulfilling future. We have some awesome people who are leading those ministries. Now, if you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Wisdom. In week one, we learned about what true biblical wisdom is. In week two, we learned that wisdom isn't just about knowing the right thing, it's about action. So it's not just about our intention, but it's about our direction. And then last week, we learned that in order to be wise, we must be honest with ourselves. We're really skilled at lying to ourselves, but we're not so great at telling the truth. And so for those of you who are taking notes today, uh, today's message is titled, The Pause and the Purpose. The pause and the purpose. We're going to be talking about living an integrated and holistic life in loving union with Christ. We will be exploring the wisdom in pausing in order to find direction and purpose in the Messiah, Jesus. Now, if you have a Bible with you, uh, we're going to be primarily looking at 1 Samuel chapter 24. I really want to encourage you to grab a Bible um, simply because although you're looking at a screen and you're watching me right now, you're not just simply consuming media. What you're actually doing is you're participating in the worship of the risen Jesus. We get together every Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. That's why we gather. It's what Christians have been doing for thousands of years. So it's super important if you have a Bible with you, if you have your phone, your tablet, anything, anything will work. But before we get started today, how about we pray? Come Holy Spirit, will you Come into this moment and and transform our lives. Lord, we cannot bring the life transformation. We cannot do it ourselves, but by your power, we can be transformed. So will you guide all of us today as we participate in the teaching of the word, Lord? Will you guide me as I preach today, Lord? May I speak what you want me to speak. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll get to our passage in a moment, but first I wanted to tell you a little bit, uh, a story a little bit about myself. It's about me growing up so you can get to know me just a tad bit better. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I grew up about a half hour south of Akron, Ohio, so a half hour south of LeBron Town uh, in the city named Maslin. And if you know Maslin, and if you're wondering, Yes, I'm a crazy Tiger football fan. Uh, If you know me, you know that's true. Uh, But growing up, from the time I was a little, little child, my dream was always to play football for the Maslin Tigers. Like, from the time I was a baby, I even was born, and they give you a little football in your crib. Yeah, real thing. I wanted to be a Maslin Tiger football player. And in my effort, I started playing when I was in first grade all the way through every year. In my effort to be a Maslin Tiger, I developed two really unhealthy mindsets. And those are, 
I am what I do. I am the, uh, all that I do. So I am what I accomplish and I am what my achievements are. So that's the first unhealthy mindset that I developed in my time or pursuit of being the best masculine tiger football player I could be. Uh, the second one is I am what others think of me. I am the perception uh, of others. So for me, it was, I wanted to put a good perception out there for the town because they care so much about football. So I developed this unhealthy mindset of, I am what others think of me. Now I came to faith in Jesus in junior high. I was in eighth grade, I was 14 to be specific. And as I went into high school uh, and became a starter on Masson's varsity football team as a sophomore, I carried those unhealthy mindsets with me. It was even reinforced by certain coaching terms that coaches would say from the time I was in like first grade all the way up. And that is, what have you done for me lately? Great, you had a great season last year. You broke records, that's awesome. But it's a new year, what have you done for me lately? Or awesome, you had a great game last week. It was so great, but it's a new week, new opponent. What have you done for me lately? Last practice was awesome. You're getting the game plan down. What have you done for me lately? A last rep was last rep. Last set was last set. It's a new one. Are you getting better? What have you done for me lately? This really only watered the seed of my you are what you do mindset or the you are what others think of you mindset. Now, a second ago, I said that I came to faith in Jesus in junior high. And a few, down, a few years down the road after I did that, I noticed one of the many contradictions in my life at that time. And that was, I lived by this phrase, you are what you do, you are what others think of you from Monday to Saturday. But then I come to church on Sunday and say, oh, Jesus paid it all. My worth is only found in him. But it really wasn't true. I was so worried about what I did. Was I breaking records? Was I the, was I the best on the team? Did other parents like me? Did my friend's parents like me? What did the coaches think of me? And so then I then realized that this mindset also caused me to make poor and sinful decisions through my time being a high schooler because I wanted to put on a persona. I wanted to put on kind of this mask of who I was. I wanted to be known as someone who did blank. And so it caused me to do things that I shouldn't have been doing and be places that I shouldn't have been. I was one person at home and another person at church, one person around my friends and another person around their parents or coaches. So what I was experiencing is what I now see as disintegration. I was one person in one part of my life and a different person in another part of my life. I was living a disintegrated life. And truly, we've all lived disintegrated lives at one point. We've all experienced disintegration. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced disintegration in your life. So what does that even mean? Well, Merriam-Webster defines disintegration as the loss of unity or integrity by or as if by breaking into parts. So for the follower of Jesus, a disintegrated life is really a compartmentalized life. You're one person at home with your spouse and your kids. You're another person with your buddies. You're another person at work, and then you're another person at church. And those kind of different people, they don't cross. Those paths don't cross. So that's what a disintegrated life is really a compartmentalized life. But the goal for the follower of Jesus is to have their whole life all of their life, every different area, bring glory to God in loving union with Jesus Christ. Through that and through him alone, we find satisfaction and we find fulfillment. So for the goal of the follower of Jesus is to live an integrated life. Merriam-Webster defines integrate as 
to form, coordinate, or blend into a functioning or unified whole. So for the follower of Jesus, integration is really the process, or to take steps of integration is really the process of sanctification. Now, if you're looking at me sideways and going, what does that mean? Uh, sanctification is a theological term uh, defined as to be set apart, to be set apart as holy. So we are to be set apart as holy before God, set apart from our sin and to God. Now that's a little bit harder to wrap our heads around, but I think we all know what disintegration looks like. Disintegration looks like saying you're 100% a family man, but you spend all your day at work and not because you have to. And then when you do get home, the last thing that you wanna do is spend time with your spouse or your kids. Disintegration looks like saying you value rest, good work-life balance and sustainable living, yet you work all day, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Disintegration looks like being in church or small groups, proclaiming that there's grace for all in Messiah Jesus. But when we watch the news or talk to friends about the news, we cast judgment on local or national figures saying that they are, you know, condemned. We throw them into contempt saying that they are too far gone. They cannot be redeemed. Sometimes we get even so angry. We say that they deserve death, that they're the embodiment of evil but we don't realize that we too deserve death, yet Christ has shown us mercy and grace. Now, I don't say that to shame anyone. Please do not feel shame. I say that to show that disintegration is easy to spot, especially in others, but it tends to be a little more difficult to spot disintegration in ourselves because it takes being vulnerable, it takes being vulnerable, it takes being honest, which is what we talked about last week, being honest with ourselves. But that's what it takes to, sh to see uh, disintegration in ourselves. So now that we kind of have a base understanding of what integration is versus disintegration, uh, let's finally get to our text. 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 2. It says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now, if you're looking at that sideways, to give a little context, Saul, who is the first king of Israel, had been unfaithful to the Lord. He rebelled against God. And due to this, the Lord's presence left Saul. So the Lord left Saul and was no longer with him. Instead, he sent Samuel to anoint David as the king of Israel. So the Lord is now with David. But here's the thing. Saul was still king, although David was anointed to be king. And because of this, Saul continually sought to hunt down and kill David to stop him from becoming king. But here's the thing. He didn't like David and he opposed David, but he was truly opposing the Lord and was truly opposing what God was doing in Israel. And so here we are, Saul is on the hunt for David while David is hiding with his men in caves. That's, that's, that's what this is explained. They're hiding in caves. So let's go ahead and go to verse three through seven. It says, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, 
the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So this is actually pretty interesting. Saul's going in to relieve himself, probably take a quick nap, chill out, get out of the sun for a bit in the very cave that David and his men were hiding in. Probably had to be a really big cave. And then we get our first glimpse of disintegration in our story. The men tell David that this is the chance he's been waiting for. He can kill Saul and take his rightful place on the throne. And I mean, come on, let's be real. It was on a silver platter. You know, imagine somebody sleeping. The man who's trying to kill you is sleeping right there. It's on a silver platter. So David walks up and cuts the corner of Saul's robe. But some time after is struck by the fact that he would even consider doing such a thing. He was struck by the fact that he would even consider murdering the king of God's people. And for a second, I want to look at how easy disintegration can influence our decision making. David, as we know, is a man after God's own heart. He was God's anointed king of Israel. Remember, the Lord is with him and not with Saul. And additionally, it is known that Saul was the people's choice for king because of his appearance and his stature. He was tall and handsome and strong. And David was God's choice because of his heart. And so David is on the run with men who believe that he is truly God's anointed. These men, you could say, love God and care about God being the center focus of Israel. They were, after all, God's chosen people. And they were meant to set an example to the nations of what it looked like for a people to worship God. Quick sidebar, in the new covenant, that's the church, but back then it was Israel. Again, just a sidebar, but if these men truly loved God and sought to keep Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, if they sought to keep Torah the best that they could, why are they pressuring David to murder the king? I mean, we clearly see throughout the entirety of scripture that vengeance and vindication belongs to the Lord alone. It's not ours to take. Every time God's people sought to bring vengeance and vindication by their own hand, it ended in bloodshed, it ended in suffering, it ended in destruction. So what they're suggesting is a really big deal. To kill the king of Israel is a big deal. To kill anyone is a big deal and should not be sought out by the people of God. But when you live in disintegration, you don't take the time to wrestle with the tension. They weren't wrestling with the tension of, hey, should we do this? It was kind of like, here it is, let's roll. Clearly these men acted one way, in this moment at least, acted one way in their beliefs or worship and another way when it came to politics and to power, specifically political power. To them, taking political power by any means necessary felt worthy as long as they were with God's anointed. Looking as they were willing to murder someone, it seems that they were not so much worried about uh, the enemy that they had to trample in order to get their political power or in order to get what they wanted. Quick pause, does this sound familiar? It, it does to me. In our cultural moment, in the face of a pandemic, in the face of coming to terms with uh, the long history of oppression in our country, and in the face of an up and coming election, there's more than enough disintegration to go around. In other words, there's more than enough foolishness to go around and not enough people wrestling with the tension. And it saddens me to say, but this is also true for a good portion of the American church. There's much disintegration or foolishness and little wisdom, little ability to wrestle with the tension. There's a continual grab for power, a continual grab for influence at any cost, much like this story. 
And do you know what disintegration does in the life of the follower of Jesus? Disintegration takes us out of step with the Spirit. Disintegration takes us out of step with the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5, 16 through 18, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you, were, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. After explaining the works of what the works of the flesh are, he says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So if our lives are not integrated and holistically under the Lordship of Jesus, in other words, if our lives are disintegrated and compartmentalized, it's impossible to be in step with the Spirit. I mean, think about it. If you're trying to live for Jesus, but you're one way with your buddies and another way at church, or you're, you make certain jokes at work, but not with your family. If, if there's compartmentalization, no matter how much you pull towards Jesus, there's always gonna be pulling, there's always gonna be that compartmentalization pulling you in another direction. It's impossible to be in step with the spirit when you're living in disintegration. And why is that? Because living in integration looks like, wait for it, Jesus. Living in integration looks like Jesus. When we live like Jesus lived, we are living in integration. We're living holistically under Christ. What is the way of Christ? Any guesses? You don't have to guess. That's more rhetorical. But the way of Christ is sacrificial love. You see, Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, brought redemption and restoration to all of humanity and all of creation. So for us, in Christ, there is new life. And then in collaboration with the Holy Spirit and in the will of the Father, we are to be conduits of the grace of God. But how can we be conduits of his grace? By how can we be conduits of his grace if we are living a compartmentalized life? If we're living a disintegrated life, how can we be conduits of his grace? It's impossible. It can't happen. There's no way. So say you find yourself currently living in an, a disintegrated state, what do we do? Well, I can assure you we've all been there at one point or another. Additionally, like Romans 5.20 points out, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So in our case, where disintegration increases, grace increases all the more. So let's look back to our text, 1 Samuel 24, 5-7. It says, Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. You see, there was a period of time in which David was able to stop and reflect on what he had done. Although we read that he was regretful only one, uh, one verse after he cut off the corner of the robe, there was most likely a period of time where he was able to wrestle with the tension, to wrestle with his action. And so in that wrestling, there was actually an invitation. In that moment between verses, David was able to recognize his disintegration and do something about it. Isn't that wisdom? We've been learning all along. That's wisdom. Noticing our disintegration and doing something about it. So David was able to do what was wise 
because he paused. He was able to do what was wise because he paused. He was able to move from disintegration to integration, a unified whole person under God. And so after his pause, his purpose came clearly in view. After that moment, he realized, I know where I'm at. I know my identity. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And what David did is actually similar to what James told believers to do in the first century. In James 1, 19 through 25, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. David wasn't just a person who knew the Torah, who knew God's word. He was a doer of the word. And after this moment, David comes out of the cave and calls to Saul. So Saul has now left the cave. He's, he's walking around with his men. David comes out of the cave, calls out to Saul. He tells Saul, that he had the opportunity to kill him, but decided to spare him because of his faithfulness to the Lord. And throughout David kind of explaining this, his integrity is shown. His integrated life is put on display. And then through uh, Saul seeing David's faithfulness, Saul actually repents and indeed proclaims that David is the Lord's anointed. I wish we had more time to kind of explore the rest of this chapter, but that'll just kind of have to wait for a later time. So if it's possible to go from disintegration to, an in, to being an integrated follower of Jesus, living a holistic life in loving union under the Lordship of Jesus, how the heck do we get there? How do we get there? So here's what the next steps are. The first is pause. And there's gonna be three sub bullets under pause, but the first is pause. And the first kind of sub bullet is pause for rest and reflection, uh, for rest and reflection, sorry. There's an ancient African story that goes like this. It is said that a man ventured into the inhospitable lands of Africa. Only his porters accompanied him. They each carried a machete in their hands and they made their way through the thick vegetation. Their aim was to keep going at any cost. If a river appeared, they would cross it in the shortest time possible. If there was a hill, they quickened their pace so as not to waste a minute. But suddenly, the porters stopped. The explorer was surprised. They had only been walking for a few hours. So he asked them, why have you stopped? Are you already tired after just a few hours of walking? Then one of the porters looked at him and said, no, sir, we are not tired. It's just, we've been moving very quickly. So we have left our soul behind. Now we have to wait for it to catch up with us again. This is so true when it comes to living an integrated life and loving union with Jesus. We cannot truly live an integrated and holistic life and loving union with Christ if we're constantly going, if we're moving, if we're, oh, I gotta go to work. I gotta go grocery shopping. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. I gotta do this. If we're constantly moving, we, we can't live an integrated life. 
because there's no way to kind of audit ourselves. There's no way to reflect. You see, there's no wisdom in working all day. There's no wisdom in working every day. There's no wisdom in being constantly on the move. You weren't designed for that. The world was not designed for that. And so in order for us to take steps towards wisdom and to take steps towards integration, we need to pause. We need to pause in order to rest and reflect on our life, in order to reflect on how we truly are doing. Because don't we do this in the United States? We always go, hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good, hey, hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? But we don't really care about how they're doing and they don't really care about how we're doing. But in order to take steps of wisdom and integration, we need to pause. We need to pause and rest and reflect on our soul health. How are we truly doing? What's really going on inside of us? So that's kind of the first sub point below the point. Uh, The next one is pause to feel, pause to feel. If you're like me and the majority of the United States, people don't like to feel. We will fill every waking moment with music, with podcasts, with TV shows. Do you ever have just, you're in the house and you have a TV show running on the back? I do it too. But TV shows, some other noise, some other activity, just so that we don't have to sit alone with our thoughts and feel. But the more that we kind of push down our emotions in order to not deal with them, the more that they kind of fester and grow like mold on some moldy food. It just grows and grows and grows. And at some later date, the emotions and situations that we have not dealt with, they'll actually rise to the surface in totally different forms that we never thought. They cause us to make unwise decisions. Emotions that are not dealt with will always drive us towards disintegration. Whether we know it or not, whether we want them to or not, they will always drive us towards disintegration and unwise decisions. And this actually, as I was preparing this, this actually made me think of a recent kind of situation with disintegration that I had. So a little bit over, uh, probably a little over a month ago in the beginning of June, uh, my grandfather actually passed away. And we had a lot going on. Um, it's the summer, you know, who doesn't love summer? But there was a lot going on at the church. There's, there's the pandemic. We're trying to pivot 24-7 because you never know what's going to change. You never know what time with DeWine is going to look like. So everything was changing. The pandemic was going on. Uh, Mogador had just become their own independent church. So we're kind of transitioning that, trying to figure out what that looks like. And then there's just general life. Life gets busy. And so when I found that out, when my mom called me, I kind of just pushed it down. Now you may be like, well, what does that matter? Well, so if you know me, if we've had a conversation, you probably know that my mom and my sister are are immigrants from Colombia. And he is the grandfather on that side. If you want to know what grandfather is in Spanish, it's abuelo. So if you're a kid, you call your grandfather abuelito. Long story short, we all call him Tito. So Tito passed away, but the problem is, is that the borders were closed, so we couldn't fly down for the funeral. And so I, I just really didn't want to deal with this, but I, I, I began to really notice that it was influencing how I thought about my day. It was influencing how I thought about people, how I thought about the future, because I wasn't dealing with that emotion that I felt. I wasn't dealing with the fact that I would never be able to go to his funeral, like ever. I would never be able to comfort my grandmother in that moment. I would never be able to comfort my aunts, comfort my cousins. I would never be able to be there with them. And we're planning a trip in November, but it's not the same. And that's the reality is that 
it will never be the same. I never got to say goodbye. I never got to see him in that moment. And then additionally, we watched the live stream of the funeral, but the sound went out. And so we never got to hear what was said. And so I never really dealt with that, but about a little over a week ago, probably around two weeks ago at this point, my aunt posted a video on Facebook, kind of like a slideshow of pictures from when he was a baby all the way to his last days. And in that moment, I had the opportunity to pause and feel to feel what was going on inside of me, to feel my frustration, to feel what was really festering. And I was able to deal with it. It doesn't make the pain go away, but I knew what was there. And I knew now how to handle it because I knew what I felt. I knew what my emotional health was and where I was emotionally at. If we want to be wise, if we want to be wise people, who live integrated holistic lives in loving union with Christ, we need to pause in order to feel because we can only make wise decisions if we're truly in tune with our emotional health. Because when we know what our emotions are and what we're feeling, we know how they affect our decision-making and then we can make wise choices through that. We don't ignore our emotions, we address them. So that's kind of the second sub point is, is pause to feel. The next one is pause to abide. Pause to abide. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verses four through 10. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Pausing to abide in the Messiah Jesus is going to that still and quiet place with him, where it's just you, Christ, and the scriptures. There's no thing going on in the background. There's no noise. There's no music. It's just the still and quiet. You, Christ, and the scriptures. Be still and quiet with him. Go away with him. Learn from him. Delight in him. To become a wise, integrated follower of Jesus, we need to learn from our Lord, who is Jesus. He's the true wisdom of God. And if he's the true wisdom of God, where would we learn wisdom from? Him. So we need to pause to abide. So that's the first next step in kind of extended form. The next next step is ask yourself, is there a tension right now that deserves my attention? Ask yourself right now, is there disintegration in my life? And if, we, if you were with us last week, we learned that we should be honest with ourselves. So is there disintegration in my life right now? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any tension or disintegration and then go to him with it. That's because transformation doesn't come by the power of man's strength. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. He's not gonna shame you for your disintegration. He's not gonna shame you for your compartmentalized life. He already knows. 
He loves you and wants to transform your life. And so go to him with it. Ask yourself, be honest, and then bring it to him. The final next step is embrace the fact that the value of life is always determined by what was given away. If disintegration in your life is revealed to you, it's difficult to receive. No one wants to say, yep, I have disintegration in my life. I'm compartmentalized. I'm not really, you know, a holistic thing under Jesus. No, no, no. That's, that's difficult to receive. But we must ask ourselves this question in that moment, is it worth it? Is it worth it to live a compartmentalized life just so that you can have fleeting temporal pleasure and success? Is it worth it? Or is loving union with Christ being a conduit of his grace worth letting go of what causes you to be living a compartmentalized life? Is that worth it? In my experience, it's the second one. It's the latter. Knowing Christ is worth more than silver and gold. I resonate so much with what Paul says in Philippians 3, 7 through 8. He says, but whatever, uh, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. You see, knowing Christ is worth more than any worldly possession, any worldly success, or any worldly power. It's worth more than any of that could offer you. And if you want to be wise with the fullness of God and his wisdom, it can only be found in Christ. And it's not by analyzing him and his life and just merely looking at his life, but it's by living in loving union with him in obedience to all that he's commanded you. And so that's the final next step to taking steps towards integration. So if there's one thing that you take away from today, if there's one thing you walk away with and remember, let it be this. This is the bottom line for today. Your internal tension may be an invitation from God to enter into loving union with Christ through which you will experience the fullness of God and his wisdom. Guys, it's through this that you will experience true satisfaction and fulfillment. So before we kind of close out today, uh, will you join me in prayer? Father, we know that you are good and that you love us and you see every bit of disintegration in our life. Holy Spirit, will you reveal it to us? Will you show us the ways that we are living compartmentalized lives? And will you give us the humility and the wisdom to address it? Will you give us the wisdom to pause and reflect, pause to feel and pause to abide so we may take steps towards integration and loving union with you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys so much uh, for joining us this week. If you wanna take a, a next step in Christ, if you're kind of exploring what it means to follow Jesus, I wanna uh, invite you to join Journey Starting Point, something that's super awesome that we do here at Cornerstone. Our web host will be able to help you out with how to get plugged in, what to do, but it'll really help you take those next steps on what to do. Uh, guys, this was uh, number four out of five in our series. So come back next week. Uh, we'll be finishing up our series called Wisdom. I know it's just gonna be fantastic. But before we go, uh, will you now receive the blessing of the Lord?
Uh, may the Lord uh, bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you grace. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. We'll see you next week. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.